Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, I hope you're ready to take care of business. Welcome into this edition of 48 Days Online Radio. And welcome to those of you who may be coming in for the very first time. You know, sometimes I just uh, assume that I'm talking to old friends here each week when I uh, create this podcast, go through the questions that have been asked. But I realize that every week there are a lot of new people who have discovered us or coming into the 48days.net community get involved in other ways. So welcome in as part of this uh, community where each week we take 48 minutes to examine the value of our work. Are we doing something that is meaningful, fulfilling, and purposeful, and at the same time profitable? You know, sometimes people assume that, well, if you're really doing, you know, this is a real common kind of malady where people think, well, if I really did what I loved, yeah, that'd be fine. I'd have a lot of fun. But then the family would have to get used to living on beans and rice. No, it usually works the other way around. And it somehow just seems counterintuitive. People assume that the, the more you hate your job, the more responsible you're being in terms of providing for your family financially. I don't know where we get that thinking. I mean, just, just try it out. Just think through it. I mean, I can attest to the fact that it's a whole lot easier to make money doing something you love than trying to be responsible doing something you hate and trying to eke out a living that way. I mean, when when people say, well, gee, I make X number of dollars, and it really doesn't matter where, where that is. If people make $80,000 and they say, well, certainly in today's economy, I could never leave this kind of a job and expect to duplicate that kind of income, well, why not? I mean, there are people who leave that kind of a job through uh, unexpected circumstances, perhaps. I mean, that's usually how it happens. People, when they get to make it a certain level, they just assume that, well, there would be nothing out there where they could duplicate that kind of income. And I know that sometimes it's certainly significant. I mean, if I work with a dentist who's used to making $350,000 a year, yeah, it's not a walk in the park to duplicate that. But can it be done? Absolutely. So just to assume that if you lost your job or left on your own accord, that you would be immediately seeing a drop in your income is not accurate. There's no reason to assume that. So again, the, the, the process is to create a plan. Okay, what are you going to do to move from where you are to where you want to be, doing work that you love, and increasing your income, not decreasing now, this is not a right or wrong, good or bad kind of issue. There are people who have been making half a million dollars a year and say, you know what, I'd really rather do something I love and make 80. And that's okay, too. But it doesn't mean that that's necessarily a part of that transition. Well, a couple things here. You know, again, he just hearing the music crank up, taking care of business. A lot of you have asked about that little deal that I forced through with Sony to try to get a licensing rights to use that rather than just using it. I mean, it's obviously not a big deal to them to just use it, but I wanted to force the issue so I'd have some kind of a precedent. And in fact, they did agree 
and I shared that last week that they did agree to give me a licensing rights to that, to use that little 58-second clip at the beginning and 33 seconds at the end. They specified that number of seconds in the contract that I got a, got a four-page contract from them with all kinds of legalese. And so I, I went through and I just eliminated some sections of the contract that were totally counter to how we would use a podcast. I mean, it said in there that this could not be promoted on a website where there was any kind of advertising. Well, what do you do with the website? I mean, I don't know of any website out there that's not advertising something. Now, mine doesn't have banners and Google ads and things like that on it, but certainly we're promoting products and coaching, live events. I mean, all those kind of things we've got coming up are promoted readily on our website. So in that sense, it is advertising. There was another paragraph that said this could not be in a podcast that could be downloaded. Um, help me understand this. How do most people listen to a podcast? I mean, they download it. I mean, if you want to listen to it from a site, that would be okay. But certainly people are capable and we welcome the fact that they download it. Most people I know download it onto a an iPad, iPod or some kind of a listening device that you have, and then you listen to it on your own terms. But anyway, I just went through and I lined through some of those paragraphs, sent the fee back in with the contract as I modified it, and I have not heard from them since. Again, talking to one of my music industry buddies this morning, you know, he said it's the kind of thing that drives him crazy because it is a small deal. I mean, we're talking a hundred bucks a year. I mean, obviously not going to make or break Sony, but it's one of those little kind of things that I think they ought to have clear guidelines on where they have guidelines set for people like me and people like you who want to use something on a podcast or in a movie trailer or as part of a commercial. All those things have them scratching their heads. And I think they waste more time in committee meetings than what is justified. They ought to have some kind of a formula put together where if you want to use a clip, boom, this is what it's going to cost you as a licensing fee. Well, anyway, I pushed for that, but just wanted to give you another update on that little saga there. You know, this, this. well, let me give you a, a quotation. I like to have some kind of a positive quotation. This one came up in my early morning guys group this morning, and I went back and looked who said it. But uh, Dave Ramsey actually said we were talking about the challenges of not feeling well and how it affects people's work. And he said, yeah, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And I said, golly, who said that? I couldn't bring to mind who said that. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. Well, we had a lot of guesses around the room real quickly, and obviously somebody just whipped on their iPad and uh, Googled it. It was Vince Lombardi who said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. But I think it's uh, important to remember that, especially this time of year where we tend to be busy. We tend to have things added to our plate beyond what we normally are committed to. So recognize that um, fatigue can do funny things to you. It can lower your self-confidence. It can shorten your patience and tolerance uh, cord. Be careful about being quick in response with angry responses to people that you care about, relationships that you value. But anyway, that's our quote for the day. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. Now, you know what? This time of year, being right here before Christmas when I'm recording this, always reminds me of... uh, some of the things that one one of the things especially that I did as a business venture years and years ago this was a long long time ago but but sometimes 
people assume, uh, like we had an open house here last week at the 48 Days Sanctuary, and, and sometimes people just assume that everything I touch, you know, turns to gold, that everything has always just worked really well. And it's hilarious to me to hear those kind of impressions. And believe me, I don't do anything to foster that kind of image, that everything I do just turns to gold and I've never made a mistake or had a failure. My goodness, my path is littered with disasters along the way of things that I did because I try lots of things. I mean, I I really do. I mean, I'm very quick to try new things. But because of that, and certainly I've been guilty along the way of having of trying things that are not well planned out. But let me tell you a quick one here that I'm always reminded of this time of year when I go around and see all the tree lots selling trees, because that is exactly what I and a good friend did about 30 years ago. I was selling cars. We were selling cars together at a lot in Anaheim, California, just down the road from Disneyland. Had great road frontage, and we knocked it out of the park selling cars. Had a ball, made more money. I went to that after working in a counseling office. Went from the Center for Human Understanding, where I was one of the staff counselors, and decided that moved way too slow for me. I needed to move on to something else quickly. And I did join a friend in his car business where he would purchase the cars, get them reconditioned, and then I would manage the retail lot. So I did all the the selling, getting people financing and all that. Well, in the car business, now this is Southern California, so the weather's always warm. But in the car business, I mean, car sales just dry up between Thanksgiving and Christmas. People aren't making that kind of a purchase. They're more concerned about getting Christmas gifts for everybody. So they, so our business just really tanked in that period of time. Now, we did very well over the course of a year, so it wasn't like we were singing the blues or couldn't pay the mortgage. But uh, I'm always thinking, you know, what could we do? Well, we have this big expanse of pavement on a main street on Catella Avenue in Anaheim, California, And I'm thinking, what could we do between Thanksgiving and Christmas? My gosh, we're the perfect setup to sell Christmas trees. So I did a little research, probably not enough, but scoped it out. And we contracted for several trailer loads, tractor trailer trailer loads of trees. We contracted in June. You have to contract way in advance for those babies. So in anticipation... We moved all the cars over to one side, and we had this great big stretch that was, again, prime visibility right there in Anaheim, and we covered it. Now, in, in Anaheim, the biggest concern is trees drying out too quickly. So if you get them in at Thanksgiving time and are going to have them up to Christmas, I mean, you really better keep those things moist because they're going to dry out. So we had six inches of sawdust put down. So we had truckloads of sawdust brought in, leveled the sawdust, worked our fannies off, and then we would cut the trees, put stands on them, set them up. We had lights up. We had music. We had our wives working with us. Uh, We had hot cider for people coming in. We had nice signs. And we thought, man, we're going to rock and roll selling trees. Well, we sold a lot of trees. But I'll tell you what, it got to be the most boring thing in the world. And the prime time for selling trees is evenings and weekends. 
I mean, I wasn't used to that. Even in the car business, we could control it pretty well, so we didn't have to be tied up then. So we missed every Christmas party we were invited to that year because we were selling trees. And we got to be so resentful of those stupid trees tying us down, keeping us from doing anything else, leading right up into the weeks before Christmas. We finally got to the point where, and we also knew that we had some uh, pilferage uh, being right there in the main drag you know we weren't there 24 hours a day we weren't manning it all day all night we would just close up and go home but trees are pretty hard to you know with cars we had poles and chains but to keep those from going out but with trees people could come by pick up a tree and go on we knew some of that was going on we finally got to the point about two weeks before christmas we put signs up and said please help yourself take a tree these are free get these out of here we started resenting having them there and we're tired of selling them and when we're used to selling cars I mean, we're used to selling a car where we may have a thousand dollars profit built in. Now we're selling a tree and we may be making five dollars and then we have people haggle over it and try to get it cheaper. It was like, this doesn't make sense at all. Get them out of here. So we we got them out of there. Then we had to clean up the sawdust and all the remains that we had there. We had to pay to get that done. We ended up I think for the the three weeks or so that we did tolerate the whole thing, we ended up splitting like $1,500. My partner, Jerry Hall, and I have laughed and laughed and laughed about that over the years. Our big venture to make a lot of money when the car business was slow in the month of December, and it was pretty much a bust. We didn't lose any money, but we sure didn't. I mean, we could have sold one car and made more money in that period of time and had the time off with our families and attended all the Christmas parties. Uh, So it, it was not a business venture that was successful at all. And I use it. It always uh, comes to mind when I drive around now and see people selling Christmas trees. I think, oh, you poor suckers. You know, surely you could come up with a better idea than that. Now, if you're selling Christmas trees and loving it and having a lot of fun and making a lot of money, I mean, God bless you. Uh, You're uh, doing a better job than I did with that. But that's certainly one of the business ideas where I tanked big time. Well, Bill says, Dan, I love selling, trying new income generating ideas, long to be self-employed. However, my current desk job eats up my time, energy, and makes me miserable. What should I do to change gears in order to better set myself up to be self-employed? Well, when you're trying things on the side and long to be self-employed, but your current job eats up 40 or 50 hours a week, yeah, that's going to get old real quick. That's why you hear me talk here repeatedly about the idea that I think you ought to have a transition plan and a timeline so that I think your complete transition ought to take place between three and six months. Now, you can tolerate anything for 90 days, and I'm pretty convinced of that. You can work double time 90 days, but you don't want that to go on indefinitely. At the end of 90 days, you ought to be seeing some significant progress made in your sideline thing. And by the time you hit six months, be able to make a complete transition. If you create a business plan and you do your financial projections and you can't anticipate making that kind of change, then I would not strongly encourage you to you know, have a sideline thing that you're doing. Now, there are things that you can do. I mean, this is a generalization for a very broad topic. I mean, there are things you can do where you could make, 
you know, $500 extra a month on eBay because you're posting two things on there a week, you know, and that just kind of works on its own. It doesn't take much time. You could continue that for a long time. But if you're serious about a business startup, then I don't want it to take three years for that transition where you're ruining relationships. Here's another question that ties in. Jacob says, Dan, I'm a 26-year-old accountant working for the U.S. government. And while I am grateful for my job, I'm certainly not passionate about it. But his question is, Jacob says, how can I transition into entrepreneurship, self-employment, when it's obvious my wife resents when I take any extra time to pursue business career interests beyond my 40-hour work week? Well, again, she can resent it if this is something that goes on month after month after month with no end in sight where you're working 40 hours a week and now you're spending another 30 hours in your sideline job or business. Yeah, you have to assume that you are borrowing from the success in another area of your life. If you're working 70 hours a week, you cannot be making the deposits of success that you need to be making physically, spiritually, personal development, socially with your family. Some of those areas are going to suffer. So that kind of a work schedule ought to be temporary. Now, if you can get your wife to buy in by telling her, hey, honey, hang on here. You know, I'm going to do this for 90 days and we're going to make a transition. I'm going to be making more money and then I'm going to deep six my current job and we're going to move on. I mean, you can get somebody's support for that. But yeah, you, you've got to see that there is a transition coming. Otherwise, you're going to burn some areas of success that you want to have in place. <clears throat> Eric says, Dan, I have two to three long-term, mid-term, and short-term goals in each of the seven areas on your goal planner. Is this too many just right or not enough? Now, to get to that goal planner, incidentally... You go to 48days.com. I need to change this because we've got resources on 48days.net and resources on 48days.com and they're different. To find the goal planner that I talk about frequently, you go to 48days.com, then go to resources, and then you'll see the 48 days worksheets. That's where you can open up and you're going to see the goal planning worksheets there. Goal planning is a very individualized process. And I have a goal planning sheet. You can download that. And I hope that it works for you. And we get thousands of uh, comments back that it really helped people get on track. And I'm delighted about that. But you, you have to have something that works for you. And I'm not a stickler about saying this is the only way to do it. You have to find something that works for you. It's like physical exercise. I mean, find something that works for you. If you hate jogging, don't try to do that. If you uh, don't like going to a gym, don't do that. I mean, find something that works for you. Same thing is true with goals. You got to find something that works for you. And there are a whole lot of plans out there that have worked for a variety of people. And I'm thrilled about any of them that works for you. Zig Ziglar uses kind of the same seven areas that I do. And he says that uh, he wants you to have two of those that are kind of front and foremost in any given week. So this week you're really working on physical success and uh, social success. Next week it's going to be spiritual and family. Well, I think it's kind of hard to jump around like that personally. I want to be making deposits of success in all of the areas each week. So I have mine pretty clearly laid out and I know With anything that I do, was that a deposit in a particular area or was it perhaps a withdrawal? But I categorize everything that I do 
in terms of it's a deposit or withdrawal in one of the areas that I identify as goals in my life. Now, I'm not, you know, that I mean, I'm not obsessed with that. I don't decide, well, gee, if I go to Taco Bell or I go to O'Charlie's today, is that a deposit or a withdrawal? But I'm pretty clearly aware of anything that I do at this point, having done this for so many years. So two to three long-term, mid-term, short-term goals in each of the seven areas, I think sounds wonderful. I mean, that's pretty much how I do that. Uh, again, the seven areas that I identify, if you're not clearing that right off the top of your top of the head here, those are financial, physical, personal development, family, spiritual, social, and career. Now, that's the way that I list them to the order that I list them, which may seem strange because you might think, why don't I talk about career first? Because everything that I do is focused on success and work. Well, it is, but success in work comes as a byproduct of success in life. I mean, it really is. You can't just focus on success and career or you'll get out of balance where some other things are going to suffer. Now, another way to, to do goals, and this is one that I reference myself and go back to frequently, Ben Franklin had 13 major goals or actually 13 virtues, 13 virtues, and he would focus on one a week. So with 13, that means that each one would come up four times during the course of a year, 52 weeks, boom, that's the way. So his virtues were temperance, silence, order, resolution, frugality, industry, sincerity, justice, moderation, cleanliness, chastity, tranquility, and humility. Now, if you want those, just Google them. I'm sure you could find them easily. But, you know, like with temperance, if that is the virtue that he's working on this week, it means, you know, don't eat to dullness or drink till you're out of your mind. Temperance. It's just, you know, moderation, teaching you moderation in all things, whatever it happens to be, if it's your tendency to be a workaholic. So, I mean, that's another system that could work for you. Again, I don't really care about the system. What I put together was just out of the uh, request that we had from people. And it is a system that I have used for many years. And it helps me frame what is that I want to accomplish in the coming year. And believe me, I attribute the writing it down, seeing it clearly in advance. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know how to rank it percentage wise, but that plays a very big part in me achieving the things that I really think are important. Kathy says, Dan, today my third divorce was final. I'll be 54 this month and still have no direction in life. My dream has always been acting. I worry that I'm too old to pursue that dream and don't know what else to do with my life. I can't seem to make a decision. Help. Well, this is one of those where... I go right back to what I just said. What I would encourage you to do is decide what success looks like for you in other areas of your life. You can't just single out success in work and career and have a life that you're going to be happy with or that anybody else is going to want to model anyway. What does success look like for you physically, in personal development, in relationships, you know, obviously you've struggled with that. Today, my third divorce was final. Ouch. I mean,
mean, look, what is it that repeatedly is going wrong in that area? Address that. Commit yourself to having success in those other areas of your life. And in the process, it's going to become a whole lot clearer what then your work or career should be. See, when I work with somebody in a coaching process, we never look at career first. Even if, gee, you know, the CEO just lost his job or I I had a medical doctor recently who just lost his license to practice medicine. Well, so the first, you know, that that, that pin in a balloon, obviously, is what am I going to do work-wise to maintain the income that I'm used to. But I don't even start there, even in a situation like that. I have somebody identify, what does success look like for you five years from now? What do you want to have in place physically, personally? You know, personal development, what do you want to learn a new language? Do you want to learn how to play an instrument? I mean, what are those things that you really want to do? Once we get those things shaped, then we can look at the clear patterns that emerge and say, okay, now what kind of work or career or business is going to embrace those things and allow you to live the life that you say you want to live? I mean, in as much as I talk about work is important, it's simply one tool for a successful life. And it is that. I mean, I love working, but it's not the center of my life. It's one of the things that I do for a very fulfilling life. And it leads to success in some other areas, but vice versa as well. I mean, the fact that I have marriage relationship as I do allows me to do the kind of work that I do. I mean, uh, so you know, they, they go together. So I would encourage you to go back and set goals in seven different areas of your life rather than having come out of a painful experience here, just grab some kind of work, expecting that to give you all the fulfillment that you're looking for. Beatrice says, well, let me me just, let's go to this. She says, how do you operate? This is an interesting question. How are you able to operate a multi-million dollar company without employees? I want to use this business model for my own company, but when I talk about operating my business this way, by outsourcing certain work, people still find it hard to believe this is possible. Even other business owners, can you explain? Yes, I can explain. How do you operate a business without employees? Well, again, I, I do. I mean, trust me, I do. But it may seem like we're just dealing with semantics here when I describe to you how I have some people set up. My daughter, Ashley, works for me, as does her husband, uh, who recently joined us. However, the way we have that set up, they formed their own company. They have their own company. I won't tell you what the name is, but, but they have their own company. And then they invoice 48 days for services that they provide. My daughter gets a certain percentage of the net profits in a couple different areas of 48 days. So at the end of the month, she calculates those and invoices me and I pay her company. So is it a dramatic difference between having employees? Maybe not. I mean, the people who do product fulfillment, I mean, right now we've got a lot of orders because of the holiday season here and people come in here and they pull those orders and fill them and take them to the post office or FedEx and UPS and all that. But they are independent contractors. They're not employees. 
mean, I just structure it that way. I don't have staff meetings in the morning. I don't meet with people and have long committee meetings. You know, I decide the, the direction of the company. I provide the vision. And then people whose skills complement my own come in and they take care of everything. I mean, the gal who does the bookkeeping stuff, I mean, she's not an employee. She comes and goes as she pleases. I don't care when she's here or when she's not. As long as at the end of the month, I have clear P&L, general ledger reports. I mean, that's what she does. Everybody is set up that way. Nobody clocks in. Nobody turns in their hours. Nobody is paid in that way at all. Um, Missy, who handles all our web Uh, development stuff and all the updates and things like that she's on retainer so she gets x number of dollars every month and you know i mean that that gives us all the hours that we need now if we have a special project and it's going to go over that then she alerts me in advance and says this is going to go over the hours we've allotted for each month do you want me to go ahead and do this anyway and then i'll either yay or nay that but that's the way we have it set up but And I use a Venn diagram in my business, which is just three interlocking circles. And so each area fuels activity and profitability in the next area that it touches. But I have it set up like that, and I'm, I am I willingly share that. I mean, every time we have live events here, I give people copies of that so they can look at it and duplicate it in any way that they want to if it works for you. I mean, just having the ideas doesn't mean anything. It's your ability to implement them that's going to mean whether it works or not for you. But that's, the way, that's a system that has worked very well for me. So we do have seven different income streams. Uh, seven different areas of profitability that I track very closely, but I do not have any employees. Yes, it is possible. A couple books you can read to help you shape that and believe in it. One is Tim Ferriss's book, Four Hour Workweek. I mean, go back and grab that and read that and see if you think that you could have a business without employees. You also might want to pick up Crush It by Gary Vanacek. Crush It two words, but he talks as well about that. There's a whole lot of people out here these days building businesses where they don't have employees, and I'm just one of one of many. Um, Darcy says, my work dilemma is this. I get tremendously bored doing routine things. My resume is sporadic and almost ADD-like. I get a traditional job and quit six months in. I've relied on my husband and our savings, but really want to earn great money on my own. Where can I find work with great variety? Thanks so much. Dar- Darcy, one of, the, one of the things that would bore me to death is doing the same thing day after day after day. My week is extremely varied in the things that I do. Now, I built that in as part of the design, knowing what I know about myself, knowing that if I do the same thing, I'm going to get bored. And almost ADD, like, yeah, I've been tested. And uh, where tests say, yeah, you have ADD. Whatever. I mean, I think anybody who's productive is probably going to show up as ADD on some of the tests that are out there. I think it's an artificial umbrella that probably touches all of us. But hey, if I am, then so be it. Bring it on. I don't think that it's destructive as long as I recognize, yeah, don't put me in a cubicle and expect me to show up at 8 o'clock every day and leave at 5 you know, sit in front of a computer screen all that time doing the same thing, it's never going to work. I mean, I'd last about two hours in that kind of environment. So you can build in variety, whether it's in a job or in a business venture of your own. I mean, just because you like variety doesn't mean that you need to go out and start your own business. You can 
structure work opportunities that allow that. I mean, I, some of the people that I have connected with us here, now they may be independent contractors, but that work just for me, I mean, they tell me what they want to do. And we structure opportunities around what they want to do. And we just recently added somebody who has a wide variety of, of skill areas and doesn't want something that's going to be the same day after day. And so we've already built in a whole lot of variety based on her particular interest and skills. Alberto from South Pasadena, California says, Hi, I'm a high I. Acting throughout my childhood really brought me joy. But I always thought I needed a real job. I got a math degree and a hundred and thousand of student loan debt to get an MBA. Ouch. I'm now a marketing analyst and hate it. Do you have any suggestions that allow me to act and even travel? Yeah, I've got about 30 suggestions that allow you to act and even travel. I mean, and so don't think that you're trapped, even with that stinking $100,000 worth of student loan debt. I mean, that that's I cringe when I hear that kind of garbage. But if it's there, it's there. It's not going to go away. It just do something so you can knock it out of the way and go on with your life. But can you do something with an MBA uh, beyond just ha- being in a job that you don't like? Sure. You could be a tour guide. Uh, I mean, we're doing the No More Mondays cruise. You know, check that out. We just added, incidentally, I think four additional speakers. These are people in the 48 Days community who just raised their hand and said, Dan, can I do this on a cruise? Well, sure. Come on down. Well, we got three days at sea. We're going to keep the presentation short. We're going to make it more like a TED conference where they have short periods of time to present. So you get a lot of variety, a lot of free time to connect with the speakers and pick their brains if you want to. But anyway, you know, check that out. Now, I mentioned that because putting a cruise together is not as complicated as what you might think. And no, I did not, you know, guarantee a quarter of a million dollars to the cruise line or whatever to do that. Nah, all we do is just reserve a block of rooms. I don't pay anything to do that. We just flat reserve them. That means we have them up to a certain date. If we haven't booked them, then they revert back to the cruise lines. I don't pay any penalty or anything for that. It's just the way it's set up. Then we just invite people. And inviting people, um, I mean, we put it together. I mean, there's no secret about it. I mean, any cruise director or tour guide does this, put it together. So like for every eight people, we get a free cabin. So we can take that either in having somebody come along with us or in actual money. Now, I don't think the numbers are what I just said there, but it's some kind of formula. But whatever it is, I mean, I don't have, I mean, there's no downside. I mean, I'm not going to get hurt if it's nobody but Joanne and me because we'd go on a cruise anyway. So as people come in, we have the potential to have it be a profit center. So could you do that? Put together your own cruise, your own tour of some kind? Absolutely. Can you go from town to town and put on a little one-man play? Absolutely. Pick up Chris Gillibu's book, The Art of Nonconformity. Fairly new book. Jump on Amazon. It's like 10 bucks. The Art of Nonconformity. Chris travels. Now, his goal is to travel to each of the 192 identified countries before he's 35 years old. He's now 32 years old, and I think he's got 19 countries left. So he's well on track, and he'll do that. But he travels, and he does it very inexpensively. Now, part of what he's doing is he he wrote a book and 
got a little advance on that. The book is selling because he's traveling, and as he travels, he speaks about his book. So it's a self-perpetuating kind of model. Yeah, you could do the same. I mean, don't think you're trapped. I mean, these are, this is a place to just get creative. Okay, what could you do so you could act and travel? Put together 20 ideas for how you could do that. Do a little more research on how that would actually look. Then just simply create a plan and start doing it. Dan, my name is Veronica, and I've desperately needed advice in the area of my career. I was laid off my job in June of 2009. Oh my gosh, it's a year and a half. I'm still unemployed. But part of me was relieved when I was laid off because I hated what I was doing, working for the Department of Defense in Washington, D.C. But a huge part of me knew I needed a job because I needed the income. Currently, I'm living in a homeless shelter because of my job loss. Sometimes I feel like I would take even an administrative job just to get me out of this shelter, but I would really like to do some meaningful work. And then there's that part of me that I wish I could generate a passive income working for myself. I don't know which way to go nor what to do. Well, it's not that, now, you know, I'm going to say something here that may seem cold or uncaring. But, but we work with a lot of people who are just coming out of prison or who have been homeless in the past. I'm not out of touch with that community. Your options are really not limited just because you are currently in a homeless shelter. In some ways, you have more options than the medical doctor who says, gee, how can I continue to make half a million dollars a year? And his options are very limited. If you're in a homeless shelter, you really have a lot of options. I mean, you can go down the street, I mean, go down and panhandle and get $10 and go buy a little uh, box of apples for 10 bucks and then sell them individually for a dollar a piece and make another 10 bucks back over your original investment. I mean, just start with what you have and do something creative there. You can do that. But also, don't think again that if you just go get a job, it's going to again be something meaningless and boring and drudgery. No, get clear on what it is that you would like to do, what value you would bring to an organization, how that could be a position. Now, there's a discussion going on right now on 48days.net. A guy is working for a company, but he got real clear on what a position would be that would really use his skills in a better way and made a proposal to the company. And they said, oh, my gosh, that makes a lot of sense to us. Why don't you do that? And put him in that position that he described in advance and with the compensation that he wanted to do that. Don't think that this is an either or. Don't think that if you go get a job, it's just going to be something again, just to eke out a living. No, get clear on what it is that you could do there. But also while you're doing it, you might as well get clear on what could you do that would generate a passive income working for yourself. Can you do that? Absolutely. You know, could you become a distributor for um, some baskets that some of the other homeless people are making? Sure. So you become a distributor. You figure out a way to sell those. You know, you maybe uh, have access to uh, put those on eBay or you may set up a little vendor booth. You know, if you're living, uh, let's see, I don't know where you're living here. I was just in Portland, Oregon recently, and there's a great big area where people have, and there's a there's a very big homeless population there, incidentally. They pride themselves on that, being the homeless capital of the world. 
They take very good care of their homeless people, but a lot of them have little vendor booths that they set up during the day where they sell different kind of wares. So you could become a distributor for some of the products that other homeless people are making. Sell those, start generating income for yourself, work that into being passive income, absolutely. But what you have to do is don't look for an external solution. Your question says, what is there out there that I can go do and enjoy? No. 85% of the process of having a proper direction in your career comes from looking inward. So look inward. Don't overlook that part. Look inward first. What is it that's unique about you? What are the things that you really enjoy doing? What are the skills that you have? What are you passionate about? And be convinced that you can bring those things together, even starting from where you are, and turn those into meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable work. Ray says... Uh, after listening to your podcast about buying a job versus a business, I was wondering what business could a person buy or start that would generate income with little operation time. I think I, I referenced recently somebody getting a franchise, and I said, well, a lot of people who get a franchise realize that all they did was buy themselves a job. They have to be there 50 hours a week to make it work and still just eke out a living comparable to having a job somewhere. Are there things that you could start a business where you would have little operation time. Sure. Think about vending. I mean, if you had gumball machines and you had um, 50 of those set up in various places, I mean, it may take you two hours a week to go service those. I mean, that's even there. That's an idea for something that doesn't have a lot of operation time. And I've uh, worked with people who have done that very well. Vending is still one of the, the three biggest millionaire makers in America. Vending. I mean, think about all the applications of that where you see vending machines, if it's peanuts or M&Ms or Tylenol or gumballs, I mean, or, or perfume. I mean, I had a guy one time who really did well have, having men's cologne, three different options. There were no electronic parts. It was just mechanical. You would turn the dial, put it in a quarter, push the plunger, and the product cost less than a penny for every dispense of that cologne. Well, that's a great profit margin. I mean, you don't do that with candy or some of the other products where you're going to have 25 times your cost, but with the cologne, he did. I mean, a great business. I have a vending business. I, in my early days, I had a vending business where I had hot cashews, and I talk about that being, again, another business disaster. I lost my money, I've sold things for scrap, essentially, but I've always been attracted to vending. Well, many of you are familiar with our 48 Days Personality Profile. Now, when you think about that, all that is is an electronic vending business. It's a vending business every bit as much as if I put a peanut machine in your business and then I check with you on inventory and I back a truck up to the dock and I unload another shipment of peanuts to take in there. That's very labor intensive, very physical, whereas my vending business today is done electronically. I mean, we have companies like State Farm Insurance. They use thousands and thousands of our profiles. When they get low on inventory, they can come into my store at two o'clock in the morning if they want to and reload their machines, so to speak. So they purchase another 500 reports. I mean, it's a vending business. It's just that I figured out how to do it without having the complications of a physical vending business. I mean, I'm still drawn to things like a car wash, which again is a a vending business and a business where you have little operation time, but have continuous 24 hour a day 
income from that. Again, I choose not to do some of those, even though they're attractive, because I think I've got the best of all in terms of bending, because I can service a customer who lives in Seattle while I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Whereas with most vending that you talk about, you have to be able to get there physically. Nah, but but yes, are there businesses you can come up with? Absolutely. I mean, you could have a delivery business where you then have 10 independent contractors who actually fulfill it. All you're doing is just taking orders and it becomes very routine. Again, something that uh, has ongoing income without a whole lot of operation time. Oh, let me grab a couple more here. Damon says, I have a passion for organic gardening, helping be- beginners get started. And Damon, you you listed a lot of sites here. I checked a couple of those and it appears that those are just domains that you have captured and some really good ones. Uh, veggie garden essentials. I mean, things like that. Gourmet, gourmet-ganic gardening. Huh. Gourmet-ganic. Interesting name. But uh, in looking at what you're doing here, it looks like you're on the right track. I think there's a lot of potential there. Uh, you ask the podcast where you mentioned your worm poop friend, what was your friend's website? I mentioned a, my friend who has the corner on worm poop. It is a very large business. It's Tom Zaki with TerraCycle. And you can look that up, TerraCycle, and see what he's doing with his company. Tom Zaki, his last name is S-C-A-K-Y. My wife really enjoys making vintage jewelry. Uh, This comes from Todd in Oklahoma. She has recently designed some things that are selling like crazy locally. She has a small booth in a craft market, also has requests from shop owners that want to carry her designs. She would like to start selling them on Etsy, E-T-S-Y dot com, but she's having a really hard time just keeping up with local demand. She's a busy mom of six and is making as many as she possibly can. I thought maybe we could outsource the manufacture of some of these items to China or something, but I don't know if that's a good fit for a handmade product. Do you have any ideas for how to grow a craft business where the limiting factor is the time of the designer? Yes, and you're on the right track with that. I mean, it, you cannot at some point justify the time for making jewelry or making birdhouses, making little craft items like that. You'll end up making $3 an hour. Now, this is where outsourcing becomes a realistic kind of thing. And you mentioned in here, Tim Ferriss's book, I mentioned that earlier, Four Hour Work Week. And Tim talks about how he outsources everything. Now, there are there are people who have virtual assistants who may live in the Philippines and are paid $3 an hour and are thrilled to have the opportunity to do that. Now, I don't want to in any way imply that it makes sense to take advantage of other people. But if they're in a culture where $3 an hour puts them at the top of the chain, then let's help them be successful in that environment. So you can do that with craft assembly things. Quality control is an issue. I mean, my son Jared has dealt with this a lot in having products come out of Africa. Quality control is an ongoing issue. You have to have somebody on the ground there that really controls the quality or it'll destroy your reputation. So you have to have some standards set for what you will accept and what you will not. But can you get people to do that? Yes. However, you can also do that locally. Now, this is something, again, that we have actually done here locally, right here in Franklin, Tennessee. There are several organizations that work with people who are mentally challenged, but they can do simple tasks and they want projects for these people to do. 
There's one called Brightstone. If you want to look these up, you can. And I'm sure the same is true wherever you are in Oklahoma, organizations like this. But here we have one called Brightstone. So if you look up brightstone.org, you're going to see how they have that set up. And also the Gear Foundation. Those are two that I have personal experience with here because they have people that can do simple kind of tasks. And it would be a good fit, perhaps, for the vintage jewelry that your wife is making where she gives them an opportunity and it allows her to focus on the selling, which she's obviously doing well, and thereby increasing the profitability and opportunity for anybody. Good question. Well, boy, we're right on top of the time again. Let me just remind you about a couple of things we got coming up. I mean, you heard me talk about the cruise. I mean, I'm getting excited about this now. I mean, it, it, we'd start planning a long time off, but now we're getting close. I'm already imagining being on that thing, going through the buffet line and being on a beach somewhere, seeing the clear water. We'll have a we'll have some group excursions like in San Juan, Puerto Rico, where we'll go together and really do a tour together, which is going to be a blast. But we're going to have speakers on there like Elwin Schlaughter, uh, who's a well-known gospel singer, but he also understands how to blend ministry and making money. Novel idea. A lot of people think you have to choose one or the other. No, you don't. And Alvin has a great way to present that message. People like David and Paula Foster, who do marriage conferences, are going to be talking about the challenges of working together in your own business. Um, Melinda Schmidt, who is co-host of Moody Midday Connection out of Chicago, she's going to be talking about how to unleash your creativity. And other people, too, I know I'm going to miss some people, but uh, Joel Bogus is going to be talking about personality style. Uh, West Connor, pharmacist, is going to be talking about some of the health issues. Cliff Ravenscraft, my um, podcast genius, is going to be there to talk about you know how to do that. If you want to start a podcast, how to do that. It's not complicated. You just need to have a plan. But anyway, check out the No More Mondays cruise. We're going to have a blast when we do that. Also, we have some of our workshops that are beginning to fill up for next year. We've announced them farther in advance, and people are taking advantage of the advanced schedule to plan their time to be here. So the Coaching with Excellence, the first one is January 13th and 14th. So again, we're talking 30 days away, and we've got lots of people registering for that, as well as the other dates that are identified on the website. Just look at live events. And the Right to the Bank, again, one of my most favorite conferences to do. Um, We've got those scheduled. We've got three dates scheduled. First one of those is in April. And again, we've got a lot of people already scheduled coming to figure out how to take your writing and turn it into income. I've had a lot of fun doing that. I've got some major projects I'm working on right now that I'm excited about that will be released in 2011. And it just simply comes from creating a plan. And the entry has become easier into the world of writing and publishing than it ever was. Um, You just need to create your own plan for how that's going to work. But I'm thrilled I can do projections on the kind of income that is going to be produced on creating even ebooks or just digital products, as well as the major trade books that we got on schedule. So that's the plan. We got a lot of things going on. I know you're excited about the next year coming up as you well should be. It's going to be a great year. I know that you're finding or creating work that's meaningful fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable. Hey, I want you to live fully, love without reserve, laugh readily, work with joy, and go make a difference today. 